I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. I'm having a lot of problems with my fake tooth. Well, I have two fake... I don't know. I have a few fake teeth. One of my fake teeth... Rick, I'm going to fill the listeners at home into what we're talking about. Okay. Then we'll get down to a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, I feel like I told people a long time... I, we were hunting in... Damn, when was that? Last fall, hunting in Wyoming. And I developed a horrible, horrible toothache. Like, bad. Mm-hmm. Um... So bad that I was, it was hard to eat my supper. Got real painful. Ran into a guy that I would have thought, I don't mean to discredit this dude. Like, I just caught him on a whatever day. Like, but someone's like, hey, th- that guy's a dentist. And I don't mean to generalize or stereotype. Like, looking at him, I just didn't see dentist. <laughs> when I looked at him, I wasn't like, there is a dentist. I expect a dentist to be wearing a golf shirt or something. Uh, right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But lo and behold, the guy was a dentist, and he goes and uh, he, he goes and gets me some uh, some kind of opioid from his dentist shop, and I started taking that. Get home and right away I walk into my regular dentist, and he's like, "That thing's got to come out," and I had broken the uh, the what do you call it? The like part that goes way up in your head. Your root. Yeah, I'd crack the root. Probably a long time ago, but it had become all infected. So they pulled it out and they packed it full of, uh, I know I covered this on the show. They packed it full of cadaver bone. Oh yeah. I remember hearing. So there I am walking around all day, spitting up chunks of someone else's bone (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'd show people (laughs) 
And then when they put that cadaver bone in there, I asked him, I said, what can you tell me about the feller who, uh, whose bone I have? And they can't, they, they, they can't tell you anything about him. Like legally they can't disclose that. Or they don't know or whatever. But I would like to, I wanted to visit his relatives or something. Be like, could hey, have I mean, been a bunch of people. want to tell like you. A... Yeah, he could have been a horrible guy. I don't know. I but mean, how do you know it's just one person's? I don't. You could... probably swallowed some of that. Oh, I ate oh, all yeah, kinds of his bone. Mm-hmm. And then what they, they fill the cavity full of bones. So you're, I might be screwing this up. They fill the, 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 the vacated spot because they yank all the junk out of there. Okay. Basically, take a jackhammer to it and pull all that gunk out of there. Mm-hmm. Then they fill some full of some dude's bones, and somehow I could be getting this wrong, but like 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 your body recognizes bone as bone okay. somehow, mm-hmm. and then makes it turn into bone. Okay, fills in the gaps. Yeah, it's like oh, I get it. Hmm. There, there's something, but the little granules come up. Okay, looks like three G gunpowder. Oh, coming out of there. You're already spitting it up. Yep. And I'd spit it up and show people. <laughs> Eventually, that, Pre-COVID. that healed up. How but long? I had to wait months. I was going to say, how long does it take for your body to start that process? I think it was like three or four months. Okay. Then I go in there and they put in a titanium socket, like a female threaded component. Okay. And your uh, body heals around that. Okay. The bone heals around that socket. So he mm-hmm. told me, if you ever lose this tooth, meaning the one that's giving me all the trouble. Yeah. He's like, if you ever lose this tooth, it'll take a chunk of your jaw with it. No. Oh. Like this thing is in there now. It's in there. They put that socket in there. Then you wait three, four more months. During that interval, I started to question why I have the molar anyway. Yeah. Why you just didn't get it removed? Be because... Um, once I got used to it not being there, it was no problem. And mm-hmm. I started asking around, and a lot of my closest friends and associates are missing their teeth. Hmm. Seth here. Say yep. something, Seth. I'm gesturing. Yep. Here Seth, I am. <laughs> he doesn't have one. He says the only t- Well, you tell him, Seth. Yeah, tell what, him, what, what's the only time you remember that you're missing your molar? The only time I remember... Um, when I'm missing it is when I'm eating trail mix and a peanut that's just the right size gets stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Open up. It's like a decoy molar. Oh, yeah. No yep. way. This this tooth was a root canal that they did a root canal on it, and then, you know, they killed the root, so it just eventually decayed and fell apart and fell out, and I took the rest out. Yeah, and did they try to talk into giving them 2000 bucks for a new one? Yeah, they told me I had to come back and get it oh. paired up or fixed up, and I never see, went my, back. My problem is I lost the one right up front. And if I didn't have that, I would be. I think I would be judged. Oh, look like a hockey yeah, player. Yeah, well, this yeah, this yeah. hockey player. Yeah. This front one's fake. Yeah, I, had I got. But I always believe in getting your front ones put. Oh, back. Yeah, yeah. You got fakies. Fake too? front. Yeah. Really? Horse trailer, handyman Jack. You know, oh, the, oh, how'd that happen, Dirt? You, dirt. You, that is the dirtiest hat <laughs> I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Definitely the record. It it looks like it's waxed uh, canvas. It's waterproof. No, yeah. but this handyman jack is a good story for the listeners, so they prevent losing a front tooth. Okay, well, let me tell. I want to hear it, but I just okay. want to remind people where we're at. I'm in the middle of telling. <laughs> this is not what this show is about. This show is about firearms. I'm in the middle of telling about uh, all my problems with my tooth, which is people are dying to know about. This is like really like 
people are loving this episode. <laughs> but go oh, ahead, Dirt. <laughs> Never mind. No, 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 Please, I want to hear the handyman, Jack. I'm joking about them. I'm joking. But no one cares about my molar, but I'm going to tell them anyway. I don't care. Well, you just, I was I don't always. care what they care about. I was always told with those handyman jacks that, you know, keep your face away from the handle because they're prone to kind of jump on you. People know what a handyman jack is? Dead man's lift. Yeah. And it was jammed up. Nowadays, uh, young whippersnappers like to have them affixed to the oh, outside yeah. of their truck. All shiny red. Because it makes Never them look like they're yeah. going to do some serious jacking. <laughs> uh, um, hey Duke and uh, the Monkey Wrench gang, he was a, he, he had a lot of good stuff handyman to say about jackers. handyman jackers. Oh, yeah, they're great. But yeah. if they get gunked up, well, it got gunked up. We, were, we had a horse trailer on it. And then my brother couldn't get it unloose, and I just went over there and kicked it, and the handle popped me in the face a couple times. Oh, knocked out my tooth. Yeah, <laughs> more than once. Oh yeah, it was quick. I mean, because it went like. Yeah, I kicked it, and it released whatever was stuck. But my face was over the handle, oh, and that sucked. Man. I mean, before it didn't even hurt. It was, it was so like quick. the battle of Buster, or the battle of Buster Scruggs, where the guy gets shot twice by the pistol. Yeah, doesn't even know it because it's so quick. Yeah, knocked that tooth out. Well, I actually broke it. Knocked it. Now it's just bent, kind of. But yeah, two root canals and sent ache. sent both those teeth flying. No, just the one. But I think they did two root canals because it got infected or something. I can't remember. Yeah, you know it was funny in hell. One time I had uh my brother shot this one out with a <laughs> BB gun. Or something. No man, we got to taking uh when we were little kids. Man, we took aluminum arrows and cut the ends off them, cut the knock off and cut the insert off. And we realized that those light bright pegs. Remember light bright? Oh God, that's a generational thing. It was used to be like you'd get this. There's this board full of holes, and there's a light bulb, and you get these designs, right? And it'd like be letters to tell you what color. And you'd put these little pegs in there, and the the light would come through the peg, and you'd make like so whatever you make like a unicorn or something (laughs) on a light bright. But a light bright peg fit perfect in that aluminum arrow, and so we'd do blowgun fights with those light bright pegs. (laughs) Because it's like a pointed projectile, man. It had, it had like a good ballistic coefficient, man. That light, but <laughs> this Dewey hung out with Davy Cole. His old man worked at a ball bearing plant and had all manner of ball bearings. And so someone came into some ball bearings that fit that same tube. And we realized how to do something called a machine gun, which is where you'd fill your mouth full of those ball bearings. <laughs> take a deep breath. Right? And then and you'd use your tongue. Rapid to funnel them, to in. funnel them in, <laughs> oh, and you'd God. get like a semi-automatic effect, fully automatic. <laughs> so it'd be like, <laughs> right? And we had these fortresses built and whatnot, and goggles, you know. But I remember he come up and he kind of ripped me crotch to eyeball with a, with a, you know, a burst, a swing with a burst, and shot the tooth clean off at the gum line. Oh, oh man, Did like, hurt? I, this story, like. <laughs> this story really starts to make its own gravy because, man, I, I want to get back to this other thing, but this is this is interesting. <laughs> I go in, and I don't want to say his name. The dentist that the dentist I initially go to see and that did a root canal on me was later shot and killed by his own son. Ooh, jeez! He was watching TV, and his son came up behind him. Oh, how old was the son? Like little, little? Or no, no, like... no, old dude, older dude. Oh. I actually have a picture of my old man. It's in my desk. My old man, that dentist, and the, and the, and the dentist's kid that later shot him in the back of the head watching TV. What was the reason? Yeah, why? Don't know. 
Awesome. Don't know anything about it. Yeah, the, yeah. Don't know anything about what happened. So Man. he, that dentist, does a root canal. I'm, I'm building up to another part of this, but he does a root canal, and and, and I don't see any problem. Like, the root canal is fine, and I go throughout my life, and I keep getting these fake caps on there. How old are you when this happened? Ten. Ten. Um, had just grew that tooth, too, because you know when your little one falls out? Like, my kids are losing all their teeth yeah. all the time now. Yeah, it just grew that new big bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Good target. <laughs> I know. So, uh, a decade goes by. A decade plus goes by. And I develop a horrible toothache, hunting deer, which is the weird part, hunting mule deer, just like the toothache I'm trying to tell about now. I develop a horrible, well, not a toothache, a nose ache. Oh. I think something's wrong with my nose. I think I got a nose disease. So we get done with our hunting trip, and I go to the dentist, or doctor. I'm like, man, something's wrong with the inside of my nose. And he's like, no, that's not a nose. You got a tooth problem. You need to go to the dentist. It's not a nose problem. So I go to the dentist. And he's like, your root canal is abscessed or failed or whatever. He gets the rooting around in there and pulls out a hunk of rusted file. It looked like a file that if you threw a file down into the ocean, like in some ocean beach, right? At, at my fish shack. If you threw an old rat tail file out there and left it there for 10 years and went back and got it, that's what it looked like. A oh. rusted, pitted How long? file. About an inch and a half long. Holy, Holy shit. The, and the guy got it out, and he said, man, I could not tell what I was looking at on that x-ray. <laughs> <laughs> and it was metal? He what? had busted off. The guy that got shot by his kid had busted off a hunk of rat tail file up in there. And just patched her up. <laughs> and whatever. Told my old man or didn't <laughs> no, tell him. Told my old man or didn't tell my old man. I don't know. And uh, sealed it up in there where it's set to rust and, <laughs> and decaying and whatnot. I don't know. It's not, it's not oxidized. Maybe there's oxygen. I don't know if there's oxygen in there or not. But either way, Causing got all rusty. And I kept that thing and walked around with it for a long time. And I can't figure out what the hell I did with it. I, I, Which leads me to... Oh. Well, I'm curious. <laughs> a question about that. Yeah. Was this around when you went to Guyana the first time? No, no. That's what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to get to my main dental problem. But the funny part is... <laughs> One time, so I had that fake tooth, like from the all this the whole story. I had that fake tooth, and one time it fell out in the snow. It was about knee deep snow, and I knew right where it fell out because I was laying down trying to shoot. I was actually laying, like drawing a bead on something, and um, in the snow, and all of a sudden, like when I put the, my cheek up to the, when I put my cheek up to the stock, it felt like something not right. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like a normal feel, and it give. felt like somehow not right. <laughs> And, and yeah, and it was just, we looked and looked through that snow, but you, you can't find a tooth in the snow. <laughs> were you mule deer hunting that time, too? No. Did you I get don't. the critter you were beating yeah. up on? Mm -hmm. Nice. I did. That's your, yeah. That's your, <laughs> how was that, gri how was that gripping grin photo with your tooth? <laughs> oh, it was horrible, man. <laughs> I wound up having a bad time with that tooth. So, this current issue I'm having, once I got it out, so you don't have a tooth. Nope. Another uh, close relative of mine, uh, He's missing a couple of them, and he said, I'll think less of you if you get that molar installed. Like, they don't serve any purpose. And when I went in, they make you sign a little thing, because they must have a lot of people go home thinking they're going to get a molar and change their mind once they realize that they're stupid. 
the molars oh, are stupid. So they lock, they lock you into that kind of. They try yeah. to make you sign like a little agreement that you're going to turn back up again to get the molar installed, which can't be binding. But anyways, all the time goes by, and I don't even want the stupid molar anymore. But people keep trying to say like, oh, your teeth will all migrate. Mm-mm. Oh, spread out. And my wife would say, if you smile big, <laughs> I can see the hole where well, it used to be. As a cameraman, you smile real big, I see that hole. Yeah, but you know what? It's, it's character. Then I get where I don't even care anymore, and I think molars are stupid. And I go down, and they put the molar in, and there is not a day gone by. I'm happy they got that molar in there. It is the This is what me and Rick were talking about yeah. before we hit record. It is the food... <laughs> Catching this son of a bitch on the planet. Yeah, I watched you brushing your teeth there night, and I was like, wow, Steve's really going to town on that uh, side of his face. But you thought I was doing it over here. I thought you were, but then oh, I was... Oh, man, I was, was probably the working over here. You were in the mirror, maybe. No, I looked, I just glanced up at him, but I saw Steve just going to town. I was like, oh, man, must be still trying to get stuff out of your teeth. Well, I get it out all the time, but something's stuck in there. It's killing me. Uh... That's all. Okay. That was, a, that was an interesting story. I have a question. <laughs> oh, please go ahead. <laughs> Unrelated to your teeth. But oh, when really? you were doing the ball bearing fights, did anyone ever swallow a ball bearing? Not that I recall. Okay. We had a lot of access to these. Oh, oh an invention we worked on for quite a while when we were little mm-hmm. is we um, felt that, it, you, that we were working on an invention whereby you'd take ball bearings and make a masking tape You'd, it was meant to be a frag grenade. Hmm. Not a frag. What's the kind of grenade? You're from the military. What's the grenade that has the shrapnel that flies out? Well, a frag grenade, but you're talking about probably a claymore. A sparkling ball. Well, I know there's a kind that just go poof and nothing happens. Like a concussion grenade. Yeah. Fragmentation grenade is the one where there's Shoots actual frag. frag. We, were working on a a frag we were working on a frag grenade invention by which you'd take <laughs> half dozen ball bearings mm-hmm. and wrap them in masking tape. And then when you pulled back with your slingshot, okay, the thinking being that you'd hit a tree or side of a house or whatever, and the mask and, and tape would shower oh. squirrels or your brother or whatever, shower them with frag, frag. Okay, I like it. <laughs> I think it's a good inventive thing for kids to do. That you worked? Know. No, we never got it perfected. It was something we worked on. We worked on quite a bit. <laughs> that little bit of technology. Yeah, a lot of good access to ball bearings. I have another ba- ball bearing. One more ball bearing question. When you guys were going around shooting these at each other, would you pick them back up off the ground and keep popping them in your mouth as you'd go? My mom's, if you went in, and I should have my mom on the show. My mom's primary gripe in life was um, if you, you know, like my mom had a Hoover vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I had a little light bulb, like a little headlight. Yes. Remember for the dark corners? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember my brother taking that out and eating it <laughs> and just cutting the inside of his mouth all the holy hell and needing to go Wait, to the, the light bulb? Room. Yep, tried to eat it. What? <laughs> I don't know why. I screwed it out. When he's a little, little kid, pulled okay. it out and ate it. <laughs> Not during the BB Wars. No, dude. He crashed into the side of the house one time and got 32 stitches across his forehead. My mom thought he was dead. Older brother? Or? Danny. Danny. You need to have your mom... Matt and Danny oh, yeah, on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, Special did. episode. To sort all this shit out, because yeah, there's he, some stories. My dad didn't know. My dad had he had one of those sleds with the runners on it, and my dad shoved him down the hill toward the house, and he didn't know he couldn't steer. My dad, see, he just kept going, 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 flap, right into the block foundation of the oh. house, and uh, got all the stitches. And then, yeah, then ate that light bulb out of the Hoover. <laughs> out of spite. But, man, listen to my mom vacuum, you know, like... 
And all of a sudden you hear like, ding, ding, <laughs> where she suck up one of those ball bearings or BBs or something. Oh my God, she would get mad. <laughs> but I'm sure, I have no doubt we recycled. Yeah. It was pre-COVID. Yeah. You got a, uh, Steve, you got a hanger on the left. Yeah. Oh, thanks, sir. Good, good, thing it's, <laughs> good thing it's radio. I want to get it though, man. You got it. Um, explain to me, uh, one of you, Pens- we're in Pennsylvania and we're with two genuine Pennsylvanians. Rick Hutton. Never been on the show before. Yep. Nope. First time. Seth Morris. Many times. Dirt's from Montana. Yeah. <laughs> no PA roots here. Lauren's here. Camera hey. guy. How's it going? Minnesota guy. Minnesota guy. Camera That's Minnesota right. guy. And Rick. Washington. Rick never been hunting his life, Smith. <laughs> 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 um, explain to me how... Uh, I want I want to get into the, like the, the flintlock deal, mm-hmm. but I think the first thing I want to cover off on, which is really interesting, is that we, we spent a fair bit of time talking about Sunday hunting over the years. It's very interesting to me that the ban on Sunday hunting mm-hmm. goes back three years prior to Custer dying at the Little Bighorn. Huh. Unrelated, mm-hmm. very unrelated, but. You put it in perspective. 1873. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1873. Mm-hmm. Just wrapping up the old Civil War. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't even, so a lot of that stuff researched uh, before we came out here, but I definitely that predates the Pennsylvania Game Commission, but I, that might be one of the first legal laws pertaining to hunting. I know it says uh, also the, what, the ban of... Uh, Shooting Just, spotted fawns. In one year, in 1873, they banned killing fawns with spotted coats. Coats. <laughs> and Sunday hunting. hmm <clears throat> Yeah. And it's, like, deeply rooted in this state. I would love to go back to hear um, what was said at the time. Me too. Like, what was, the, like, 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 how vocal was the debate? I have, yeah, I don't know if it was super vocal or anything, but you just, the only way I, I can wrap my head around it, it's, you know, it's a commonwealth and Pennsylvania is a Quaker state, you know, Philadelphia and the history of the state's all based in the Quaker faith. And so, uh, yeah, the Sabbath cannot go out on Sunday. It's a day of rest. Mm-hmm. So that's, but other than that, I don't know the exact roots of that, but I can't imagine, was it, yeah, was it accepted generally? It probably was, to be honest. You think so? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if people were pissed. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people had been pissed, and some people mm-hmm. had to have ignored it for a long time. I, I was just yeah. saying, I bet you a lot of people just ignored it. What's interesting is that then stood for like 146 yeah. years, mm-hmm. and just now, just now, it's they're starting to ease. <clears throat> yeah, 2020 was the first year Sunday hunting is allowed. Seth knows the actual. They allowed three Sundays. Yeah, which, there was uh, one Sunday... Which was it, one Sunday in archery, which was the last Sunday in November. It's not the last Sunday in November, but the last Sunday of the season is in November. Um, the a Sunday during bear season, and then a sun the first Sunday of the rifle season in Pennsylvania are the three Sundays that you can now hunt. Unless you choose to hunt coyotes, mm-hmm. foxes, or crows. Yep, yep. that yep. is a okay. Yep. The uh, devil's Sunday. critters. Definitely. 
Yeah, it must be the devil's critters. <laughs> well, they mess with agriculture more. That's oh, why. Gotcha. That's why it e- eased up. Yeah. They're so what? Uh, do, do you do you think they're aiming toward like um? There's like a lot of movement away from blue, like blue laws yeah. refers to. That's what blue laws would be like. All these things like your tavern can't be open on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. You can't do this on a Sunday. That on a Sunday. Do you think that this is just like a step toward like getting rid of that altogether? Yeah, and I think Pennsylvania is a state that's been stepping that way because when we were kids, I don't, I don't know the alcohol law, but we like no alcohol sales on Sunday. I remember my dad could never, he can never buy alcohol on Sunday. And now you can, right? Something like that? Or Yeah. They're easing it up now because there used to always be distributors. And now there's beer in stores, like they're allowing grocery stores to get and I don't. I well, don't it's because know, those yeah. stores are buying. There's like a there's like a set amount of liquor licenses, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like I don't I don't think they can make any more. So like if a bar goes out of business, someone else can buy their liquor license. Got it. So like you know, the, for for an example, there's a bar in Milesburg, Pennsylvania, which was um, not too it's not too far from here. Um, a bar went out of business. A gas station bought the liquor license and set up shop right across the street and they sell the gas station sells like 12 packs and stuff yeah beer. yeah it sells beer which that never used to be the case so like that's easing up and like blue laws are changing now sunday hunting which that's been a big thing and i haven't been in pennsylvania for all that shift but uh i know growing up here i could not stand the fact that we could not hunt on Sunday. I thought it was the dumbest thing oh, in the yeah, world. Oh, it's terrible. It was, yeah. it, would it be such as, like, as strict as if you were hunting out of season? Or is it like a lesser Oh, yeah. What oh, actually yeah. happens to you? You know, I don't know. But it's, I think it's, yeah, hunting out of season. Yeah. For sure. It's that kind of punishment. Yeah. I would think. Uh, Rick, you never, since you've never been on the show before, tell, mm-hmm. tell people what you do now. Then we're going to talk about what you did in the past. Okay. Uh, so I am the content community manager for FHF gear. Stands for Fish Hunt Fight Gear. We, uh manufacture the bino harness you wear on the show mm-hmm. and a uh, bunch of other u.s made hunting and fishing gear so and some tactical gear and then uh you studied forestry you like yep. you and seth did, did you guys meet through the forestry yeah. world yeah we we met at penn state mon alto which mm-hmm. is a branch campus of the main the main campus yeah. um it, which is in yeah. mon alto pennsylvania and it used to be the pennsylvania state forest academy gifford pinchot started it because hmm. he grew up in Milford, Pennsylvania. He started it, uh, and then Penn State bought it, turned it into a branch campus. Uh, but all the original buildings on that campus were built by the original forestry students. Like, they would show up up by train. They would get issued axe, a bunch of tools. They'd go to class. They'd come back in, like, Conklin Hall on the campus and everything. They built all that by hand, all the forestry students. So the campus still has a very big associate degree program. That's where Seth and I started in the associate degree um, got our associates in forest technology. And then I went to Penn state. We both went to Penn state main campus. I finished with a bachelor's in forest management. Seth switched to agriculture. So, well, what was the draw to forestry? I just wanted to be in the woods. And I thought going into it, I, I just wanted to be in the woods. I thought it would make me a better outdoorsman learning. Uh, and that was always the ultimate goal. Just be like a well-rounded, uh, outdoorsman, woodsman. Like a and naturalist. Then, yeah, kind of. You could say like that. But I'll just get better at hunting and fishing, you know, and I thought that would be a good thing. I also thought it would be easy, uh, like it would be something I could do in college because I did not – I wasn't good at math, didn't want to, you know, do any, like, crazy, crazy uh, 
I want to say like didn't want to work hard in college because I definitely ended up working very hard. But yeah, you were mistaken with the easy part. Yeah, that's was, what I was just getting around. It. It Boy, did we get slapped in the. F- the slap in the face. It was extremely hard and had way more math than ever. Statistics, everything. It was, yeah. And, and at that point, Mon Alto, which it still does, has a very hard program. Well, you guys are telling me about the test where they take 50 limb buds. Yep. Leafless branches. Yeah. Like sections of twigs. Sections of twigs. Lay them out and you got to identify all 50. Yeah. So you'd walk in the laboratory. There'd be 50 sheets of paper and on each piece of paper. And they were all distance out so you couldn't cheat off your buddy. And you'd walk around and no complete silence, everything, and there'd just be a one inch, four inch little twig with just the buds. Um, but what about on like the pines and stuff? There'd be a fascicle, like which is the clump, a clump of needles, like a five needle or a three, you know, a hard so pine, those soft ones pine. were gravy. Well, not you got, always. Not always. You got a lot of different types of conifer. Now it's all stuff native to Pennsylvania since we were in Pennsylvania, but a lot of the species were up and down that northeast. But like with the hard pines, you got. Table Mountain pitch, all different types. Like you can, it can get a little tricky. Or there'd be a cone, an armored cone. You know, the soft pines were easy for us here in the in Pennsylvania, but sometimes the armored cones, like shortleaf uh, pine, Table Mountain, and pitch. Sometimes their cones are a little hard to tell apart. So it would just be that, and you'd have to do family, genus, species in the Latin. And I think sometimes it'd ask, like you'd have to say a fact about that tree. You had to know all that, and then yeah, so that was for dendrology. Man, and we had we What'd learned you get on that test, Seth. I don't remember on that one. I was good at, the, at dendro. I wasn't good at anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I knew my trees better. I walk around and go, oh, that's a tree. That's we, we had to be able to identify how many tree species? It was in like our 120-ish like ballpark is what we learned. Family, like we all the Latin, family, everything. genus, and species. And we'd have, we'd have, like, we would go out. So we would do part of our exams where we would do like field tests. And like we would walk out into a field, we'd have these little pieces of paper, and our our professor would point to a tree, and we'd have to write it down, and hand it to her, mm-hmm. and then she'd do that for I, I don't know twenty yeah. thirty species. We weekly exams like that. How many students then, in your course, in your class? I I think I graduated with like nine or oh wow eleven or something like that. I started with thir- with 30 some in the program but after the end of the 2 years it was only like 16 maybe of my associate and then I only graduated with my bachelor's with like 6 to 9 people something There like was that. some attrition very very much first oh, they the first dropped, they dropped like flies cuz it's hard yeah, yeah. cuz everyone hard. did they pick well, it It's weird that you guys got that far then chickened out and went into different fields Well he didn't Rick didn't I worked yeah I worked in forestry uh all went, went, until, but then he went into the military Well that was a different like goal. But then when I got back, I went right into oh. work for Pheasants Forever. And then I, wor- I worked for Pheasants Forever and then went out to the U.S. Forest Service. And I used to work for the Game Commission in college. You know your observation that you thought by studying forestry that you'd mm-hmm. be better at hunting and fishing? Yeah. Um, we were having, we were talking about that one time with, with uh, our beloved Pat Durkin. Mm-hmm. And like just like woodsmanship and being a naturalist, right? Yeah. And he was saying, um, he's kind of expressing this almost like it's unfortunate, but he's like, you know, he spent a lot of time profiling like very effective deer hunters, Mm -hmm. like stone cold killers on whitetails, you know? Yeah. And he said, the thing he's found in a lot of these guys, they can't tell you what kind of tree their tree stands hanging in. Really? 
Yeah. That like amazes me. Cause I, he's like, I, it just yeah. like, it takes a lot, but it doesn't take that. I saw, I saw one <laughs> yeah. time. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I saw a dude. Um, he's like Insta famous, does a lot of whitetail hunting in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And he was going around like scouting a property and he, and he was saying how, um, you could tell this was a fresh deer rub because it was low on the tree. An old deer rub will be higher in a tree because the tree grows up. Huh. Yeah. And did I was you, like, did you leave a comment. I didn't No, I don't, <laughs> you don't troll. I, but I was like, yeah. that man probably knows a shitload about deer, but has no clue how a tree grows. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, definitely doesn't know how a tree grows. That's uh, really funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because um, we shot a steel broadhead into a tree in our yard when we were little, and you can still see like the little swell from it there, and it yeah never yeah. changed height. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, that's surprising though that that's the case because I felt like, and I'm sure Seth would agree, when you learn all your species, and then to you really start getting into like silvics of the species, like you can look back that the whole landscape's a history book. And you can look at how stuff regenerated. You can look at stumps. You can start breaking the for it like we do. We break everything down into stands. Okay, group group of trees that is um, unique to like a size a species. You can start lumping them together, and you can just create these rooms. Like a, you can actually create a bedding area. Why deer bedding there? Then you could see travel corridor, and then you can actually see like why, especially with mass producing eastern hardwoods when you're dropping acorns and everything and like we were talking about the other day like they're they'll hammer a deer will eat white oak acorns before they start hammering on the wet red oak ac- uh, acorns because of tannins yeah. and stuff see when you start knowing that you can break it all down and make sense it's not just a bunch of green stems oh, i think it's like it's a component yeah it's helpful but there's a lot of ways around it totally just like yeah, you can I, know I, every I, damn I, tree in the woods and yeah but be fidgety yeah. or i think it helps not I guess, patient yeah. but yeah. you don't need to but it yeah. definitely helps yeah so when uh so you got out of that whole deal, mm-hmm. got out of school, yeah, and then I want to get to about I want to get to the part about uh well, no you know where I'm going I know no, cause I, already, I asked you permission yeah, yeah, yeah. if I could yeah, ask yeah, you yeah, about yeah, it. yeah yeah there's a part no, that fine. I had to no. ask if I could ask but I'm not asking that yet yep but um I caught when we were talking so I know you were in the service mm-hmm. and your old man was yeah and he was injured in Iraq yes. It's yeah. it's so weird that that, that 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 at this point to be talking to a grown man mm-hmm. whose old man was in the Iraq War was injured in Iraq. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What branch of the service was he in? Marine Corps. Oh. Yeah. He was a uh, forty. He turned forty three in Iraq. He was old though when he was there. I see. Yeah. He uh he was, had, at, was he a lifer? Um. He did twenty four years. Most of that was in the reserve. So yeah. But he and that he got deployed in oh. Three, yep. Because it was right after like I shot my first deer when I was twelve. Everything was two thousand two, and he deployed in January, went to Iraq, and came back in like just under a year. So you were twelve, and the old man got shipped off to Iraq. Yep. No kidding. Yeah, Didn't one of one of like the last times we really like had a father son like experience was when I shot my first deer. Yeah, and then uh, then he didn't see your dad for a year. Then he got super busy like for pre deployment, all that and everything, and they left in January, like beginning. Yeah, maybe middle January. I can't remember exactly when he left. I uh, went to Iraq, but he got a traumatic brain injury there and then came home. And from that brain injury, he had traumatic brain injury and a uh, bunch of spinal injuries. And he just, and, but like, he just took ibuprofen. He didn't, they didn't ship him home after. They really didn't know what was going on. 
with him, and he just got a Parkinson's ism. So from his brain injury, he has a lot. Of, he has mobile problems. He's mostly in a wheelchair a lot and stuff, and has problems getting around. I think just saw him at Christmas though, and he's doing. He was doing pretty good. He with. So it comes and goes, but it's all uh, neurological. He is a deep brain stimulator, too. He's one of the first people in the U.S. to get a deep brain stimulator. So he has it, and I'm pretty sure he was the first guy to have it installed on his left shoulder instead of his right because he wanted to still shoot a firearm. And they were all putting him on uh, oh, really? the, yeah, the right shoulder, and he asked the surgeon if he could put it on his left so he could still shoulder a firearm. But it's like a pacemaker. It goes down into his brain, pulsates, and... Um, helps his uh, dopamine levels for mobility and everything. Huh. So, yeah. So, with that, I, yeah, I... Uh, so, then you felt compelled to go into the Marine Corps? No, no. I, it was it was opposite. All I wanted to do was go in the Marines when I was a kid. And then I, with his mobility and struggles, I was just being a 16-year-old kid, being an idiot, and I just struggled with that fact. And I was irritated at a... Uh, because we had to kind of figure out what was going on with his situation with the VA, and he couldn't work no more when he got... Uh, medically retired and everything and so i did not join the military at 18 which is my biggest regret in my life yeah even though i'm glad where my life is right now but i did not join at 18 i went to college and did mon alto and then my sophomore year of college i started having big regrets about it and i made the decision to to just join after call post-college so and then did how long uh so i did uh i was doing officers candidate uh, like recruiting and ended up graduating. Uh, and I was six months out. I was living on Seth's farm, just waiting to get like a date to go to officer's can school, a ship date. Cause you don't, like, you got to get accepted. And at this time there's a huge bottleneck. They really slimmed down how many guys were going to officer's can at school. So I ended up getting impatient and I enlisted, um, various reasons, bunch of family stuff too. I didn't know if I can, like my dad wasn't doing too well at that point. Um, so, and I, wanted to go infantry really bad so ended up the contract i did was infantry but i went reserve so so then i did boot camp uh school of infantry and then got put back in reserve unit in pennsylvania and i just did four years because at the end of the four years my plan was i would try to go back officer oh I and, got you. but that's when moving to montana mm, that was a better that was a new yeah i wouldn't change that at all did your dad support your uh decision that oh yeah 100 percent. yep Yep, he would, yeah, my mom supported it too, yeah. But it was, you know, that was at the draw, that was in 2013 when I left, so that was when everything was starting to really settle down. But yeah, no, I was very supportive, grew up in a military family, almost all the males in my family served. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service, it's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy, 
it's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana knife company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the ultralight speed goat. Use code meat eater and you get 10% off your first order. Montana knife company. Working knives for working people, 10% off with the code Meat Eater. That's a good deal. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX Off Road Map and Navigation app is the best to find off road trails and off grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. So talk about when you got like uh, uh, when you went through your health crisis. Yeah. Okay. So this is the part Steve really likes. <laughs> well, no, not, uh, not that I like it. It's just something we've. We, it's just like a, 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 yeah. a thing we haven't ever explored. Yeah. No. So uh, I was a fat kid. Always, you know, always overweight. Um, like all growing up. Yeah. For the most part, I got you know heavy when I was ten around then and everything all through. But I was still very active. Like I was Eagle Scout, did Boy Scouts. We did backpacking all the time, fifty miler uh backpacks every year we did uh, a couple of them so super active but in college i got like the freshman 15 really packed on some pounds and i got up to 230 some pounds how tall are you 
I am five. Uh, this is funny. So the military only does you by whole inch. So I'm five nine on their records, but I'm five eight and a half. So yeah, they round you up. They round you up, which is good. That's well, well, because you get a weight cap, and I was always one of the guys that was pushing it. So also, yeah. they gave you an extra half inch to help you out on the weight cap. Yeah, that's usually generally what they do. Um, I'm trying to think how big that is. So two, what was the weight again? Two, like two mid two thirties. I can't remember what like the max max pound it was, but I was in that two thirties. And I'm five eight and a half, and in uh, five months, I lost like fifty five pounds. Just one day. I just yeah, I made a decision. I was like, this is done. I'm done doing this. And that's all it is. It's but, a mental when decision. You made, but when you made the decision, what was your understanding of why it was that it had happened to you? Not tracking with the quiet. What's your like you must have said like you didn't make a decision to get thin. You had to make a decision that that I'm gonna do such and such thing. Like how did you know oh, what the problem was? So when I was thinking about doing the joining the the military i was like well you got like there's weight regs everything got to be in shape and that's when i made the decision i was like well if i'm gonna do that i need to just get in shape and two i was never you know i always want to be able to run faster and do all that so that was just like little all i needed and it clicked in my head i was like well i'm gonna do it i'm just gonna get in really good shape so i went down got to like at one point i got to 158 pounds dang um but what were the things you changed diet I got up every morning and ran three miles because that's what the PFT was. So I knew I had to work on that time. That three and then what about diet? Uh, well, I pretty much, this is where I made some mistakes. I starved myself. I, I like, there was days, I, some days I would eat a couple oranges. Like you were just that committed? Yeah. I would get really bad starvation headaches. But I was just so committed. I was like, I don't care. It's calories. Your calories burned has to exceed your calories in. And that's all I did. And I just, I, which... Definitely can tell. I think I hurt, hurt my stomach a little bit by starving myself or anything. But I, you know, I, I would eat not like months of just low, low calories. But there'd be a day, a week, I'd be like, "Well, I'm hardly gonna eat anything today. Just keep going." And I'd and you power get up and run three miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was easy because once I started seeing progress, I was like, "This is it. I am, I'm getting to that goal," and I did it. So, yeah. So it's just a, it was a mental decision to lose that weight. That's all it was, and it's it, painful. But painful hey, in what way? Well, what I when I was starving myself and stuff. Oh, painful like that. Just that like was a little painful, painful and everything. And yeah, but um, you know, one thing that was pretty awesome though was the encouragement people. Like I knew Seth then when I lost all my weight, and like everyone when they saw you was like real encouragement when they haven't seen you in like a month or a couple of weeks, and then they see you again. You're really working at yeah, it. It's awesome. I was um, I was still a month. He was he's a year ahead of me, so I was um, sophomore year. Yeah. And you were junior year mm-hmm. up at main campus. I was still at Mount Alto. I remember coming back up to main campus to visit for the weekend. And I saw him and was like, holy shit. Like, what happened? Because he just, like, I hadn't seen him for months. Yeah, all summer. And I, I came up and saw him for the first time in, like, three or four months. And he's just, like, half the size he was. Hmm. And I had no clue that he was even, like, trying to lose weight. Yeah, I didn't tell no one. I was just, yeah. yeah. I told everyone I came back to school, but yeah, that was it, so. What was it when you, the first time you went back in the woods, you know, lighter, like feeling fit, did you, was it oh, like. Oh, it was amazing. That much more enjoyable. Oh, oh really? man. Oh, yeah. I feel like I could do anything. Yeah. It was like running wise and everything and, uh, uh, yeah, totally. I would encourage anyone, like if, especially any young person, uh, to just do it. It's a mental decision. Just make the decision and stick with it. It's going to like suck, but just do it. Cause man, once you're. 
fit and everything you can like i'm addicted to running now i love going for long runs and stuff and everything so yeah but uh tell people about the decision to uh expunge your um... oh yeah because that came up because we're talking about photos because i i have a somewhat of a well yeah i have a regret now i was so ashamed of those years of being uh overweight and what, I, how, how long were the years well from you know 10, 10, 11, all the way up until college. So, kind of like defining years of you know becoming a going from like boy yeah. to man. Yeah, like yeah. that's a that's yeah. kind of a pivotal, very pivotal. Because you showed uh, me a picture of a big, huge, freaking bobcat you trapped. Yeah, and that was a couple of days before I went to boot camp. Yeah, too. well, I was like, you yeah. look skinny as a bean. Yeah, I'll show you some others there on my phone. You should see how skinny I am. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but then I just destroyed and got rid of all the, I call them a fat pictures. I'm just like, I'm getting rid of this. I'm burning this part of my life out. Really? Oh, yeah. And and I regret it because I, I got rid of a lot of hunting gripping grins and hunting pictures and stuff I've killed. Oh, man. I yeah. still got some. Seth keeps them Seth in the vault. Seth keeps them. Yeah. He's got ones. Uh, yeah, digital on his phone. Um, but yeah, I, got, I just tried to erase it because I was like ashamed of it. But now I looking back as I'm getting older... I don't know. A lot of people say you should just be proud that you did that. You made that change. You didn't just keep going down that path. So, yeah. Well, it's tricky because you obviously switched up some habits and uh-huh. created some new ones that you're really happy about. But to be so, like, ashamed of of just... I yeah. Don't, it's I, don't a, I don't know. It's a tricky It's a tricky thing, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean... Because I feel bad for that 13-year-old... Rick. Well, what? Yeah, because I got picked on and stuff, or what? You got just, picked on? Just oh yeah, I mean yeah, I was a fat kid. I got picked on. Hell yeah, heck yeah, yeah. Yeah, the judgment that goes along with it. Yeah, you know, like the, what kind of picked on? Well, you know, general like ain't getting picked for a lot of sports and everything, like in gym class when you're a yeah. fat kid and everything. You know, Ugh. yeah, it's breaking my heart. No, so that really? p- that part really makes it's breaking your heart, really. Just think about how wicked. I got kids, man. I see. That's how, just the way you know. Kids, kids are wicked, dude, dude. People are terrible. Oh, yeah. They're people evil. Are, like they're they're evil little. Yeah. They don't know better, but they're just evil little people. Yeah, people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's right. yeah. No, I, I I can't remember like exact things. People, I just remember sometimes being really stressed and upset. They're, they're, they they have moments of like incredible passion and moments of just wickedness. Yeah, man. yeah. That's a really good way to put it with kids. And yeah. it can happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. One yeah. out of the left hand, one out of the right. Yeah. So, but horrible little things. Yeah. Well, hey, you're, you're raising a bunch, so. so. I'm saying, just, just, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not acting like this is just. I mean, I see them do things to each other. Yeah. I'm like, what? Who would like? <laughs> no one I know would do that to do like that. someone, even a stranger, let yeah, alone their sibling. I don't. I think <laughs> no, when you're young, you don't like, have you don't understand like the ramifications of what you say and how that would like burn and linger in someone's mind or anything like that. So, but then again, I don't know. All that led up to me just being like, I'm sick of this, and I made my decision. So if no one did do that to me, or like, yeah. I was I wasn't frustrated with my physical abilities. Would I have ever made the decision to change? I don't know. And I'm so glad I made that decision. Like, What do you think now about, um, you know, there's this kind of national dialogue, right? Ooh, where, ooh, this is a, yep. Where, you know, it's, I don't know how to, Rick, Rick tell everybody about what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, the o- obesity pandemic? Is it no, is it the like no. accept like the, the accept your body that, type thing? Yeah, or? the idea yeah. that that um like love your body. 
Yeah, which is like a good advice, you know, it, like it, generally. But then there's this, this yeah, yeah. Th- there's this idea like, uh, I guess w- within the culture, there's a growing trend to be like that 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 um, beauty was always defined a certain way. Yeah, and so it was like this binary thing, like you're like thin and beautiful, or you're not, or you're or you're ugly, and there's this 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 um tendency to want to like to take this down to mm-hmm. have this not be the way that mm-hmm. it's not like that such a you know this huge percent of the population should sort of like feel the shame of not hitting um a, a certain physical stature that society has deemed acceptable yeah. but at the same time there's like healthcare professionals who are like there are serious co- like like yeah there are costs to being overweight like Very legitimate much. cost of being overweight, uh, and it's not like a beauty. It's not like beauty, not beauty. Is sort of like there, there's a, a health component. Yeah, and I. But yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm doing a horrible job of expressing it, but this is like a, a, a thing you hear about. Totally. No, I think you did a pretty good job of explaining that. And I'll just say my personal opinion about it. Uh, I think everyone should be confident with themselves. I think that's a big thing because we're all different, I and mean, it's weird when you compare like major athletes and stuff to everyone. Like, just be confident in yourself, but be healthy. That and it. it, it really pisses me off i'll be honest it, it when uh because people don't know my past when they see me and then they're like well i can't lose because i can't lose weight because of this or that and you know i'm 50 pounds overweight and it's just never gonna happen and it's it is a it irritates me because i'm like you can it is a decision because i woke up one day and i flipped a switch in my brain and i did whatever it took to accomplish that and i don't think i think there's very few people that have a physical limitation to holding them back from being super healthy. And I am, there is not a day I wake up that I would go back to that. I love being healthy. I love being able to go for big long runs. I love being able to go to the gym and actually perform the way I should for my age class. And I will say there's, there's health ramifications. My knees, I think my knees are going to give out before they would have because I was carrying around all that extra weight. And especially too, I was an active kid. So I was going on backpackers, you know, I'd have a big pack plus extra weight. Toting all that weight. All yeah. that extra weight. And uh, I don't know, you can ask Seth, he's heard, I'll bend, I'll kneel down, and my knees will crack loud, both of them. Like, and I can tell some days I gotta, like, I'm definitely gonna have, those are, that's the part of my body I think is gonna start failing early is my knees. And Well, let me ask you this, mm-hmm. as long as we're on the subject. Uh, the people that goofed on you when you were a kid. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you now think like, thank God those people were so ruthless and awful? No. Okay. But I also, <laughs> I'm not, I, I did, oh man, it's kind of hard. I, yeah. Like you, I don't think they need you, to be you as can ruthless. in some way be like, oh, I deserved it. No. No, I don't think that. But then yeah. I also, I think because of the subject we just talked about, I don't think you should totally ignore. I think people should be like, hey, you know, if you have a friend that's, that's overweight and unhealthy, you should be like, hey, let's, uh you should think about taking some steps to just be healthy. Like you shouldn't ignore it. That's my, that's what I'm getting at. You know? Um, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I'm never like thankful. I got bullied for that, uh, part of my, you know, life and everything, but I, I definitely, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I spin it in a positive yeah. in my mind. You, know, you, you can't just that, look negative at it. Do you feel, um, to lose a bunch of weight, do you feel that you were more, uh, moving toward like a, a definition of health that you had or more moving away from like 
getting goofed out by people? Uh, moving towards a definition of health, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I was in college and everything when I was, I was like, my, I was a fully, well, I wouldn't say fully developed man. Uh, but uh, by that point, getting close. But I was myself. And I was confident in myself, too, who I was. But I just wanted to be in shape. And I, the, yeah. the goofing probably stopped. At yeah, college, right? College. Yeah. The goofing stopped. I don't like, remember anyone. No, no, no one. Hard time yeah, about Seth, college would, Seth would have kicked their ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> would, no, because your old man was a Marine. Was he like, did he like look like a Marine? Yeah. Yeah, he looks like a Marine. Yeah. He's, yeah, he he looks like a Marine. He, was, he still, there, he still, was still looks little, like a Marine. Really? Was there a little yeah. bit of rebellion yeah, he, in there, maybe? He thinks it's illegal to not get a high and tight haircut. So, yeah. He just can't shake that's, the old habits. That's the only yeah. haircut I can get that's, these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you were Marine too, right? I don't know if that came. Yeah, up yeah, yeah. I went yeah. to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which my like service was nothing compared to my old man's. I yeah. I I don't even talk about my service that much. Uh, no, you really don't. No, no, I don't. Um, but uh, yeah, because what my dad gave up for the country and everything, I not like I did little little bit of that so i don't i don't talk about it much um he's the one that got you started hunting though oh yeah yeah i started i mean i never i mean we joke about it. i don't i don't know anything about sports i played some sports because i think my parents were like we want you to be accepted like try this and all i want to do was play with guns and go hunting and fishing but he got me started and all that and i was in the boy scouts all you know all the way up to my eagle um but yeah my dad got me started and all that he grew up in a hunting family so mm-hmm. can i ask a question that might be Jumping ahead too much, or maybe not. Yeah, man. <laughs> did he? Did your dad get you into flintlock, or where that? Because yeah, you're oh, dude, very that was passionate phenomenal about that. transition. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <Good segue. laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, like, how am I going to get out of this and get into? Because I'm super interested in this, but I know where we got to go. So as I'm sitting here thinking, like, how am I going to do it? I'm yeah, I was like, it. I don't know if, the, if people know, care man. about like, my what am I gonna do? past. Oh but... no, they care a lot, dude. I don't. But know. I was Listen, gen- I genuinely. I didn't know what to do, and I was about ready to hit panic, and then dirt comes in. <laughs> Well, that was an amazing transition because uh, started out going small game hunting with my dad, like watching him shoot squirrels at 22. But the first deer I ever watched get killed uh, was with a flintlock. Was that the one your dad was kind of shooting down on it? Kind of, yeah. And I was kind of down at it too. Um, We were out. (laughs) So this, you can transition this into, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later, but Seth and I. That was a great job, Dirk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was was not motivated. Oh, you're real solid, man. (laughs) Seth and I both uh, grew up in in areas of Pennsylvania that had heavy uh, coal mining. And I did. I grew up in Schuylkill County, the anthracite coal region. So a lot of where we hunted was all. Better tell people what that means. So anthracite coal is hard coal, and uh, eastern Pennsylvania, um, from Scranton area all the way down to, to Pottsville, which is where I was born and raised, uh, is where you can get anthracite coal. It's hard coal. Uh, it's shiny, uh, burns more efficient, less ash, and more uh, BTUs. Good uh, clean then, coal. Yep, good clean coal versus uh, bituminous. But I grew up in that region. Seth grew up where they mined bituminous coal. So he grew up in the shit coal area. He did. That's mm-hmm. right. And you do you feel that, that like affected you guys' outlook and, and personalities? What that he grew up in the shit coal oh, region? Yeah, like shit coal and good coal? No. No. no okay. I think it shaped <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it shaped how we view uh resource extraction, but I don't think <laughs> you know, I don't think it made me think any less of uh but we always call I didn't it like, know Seth grew up in a bad coal area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all Compared this coal to, all this coal on the on the hill is soft coal. Yeah. That's the only place in the U.S. 
everything's soft coal except for in eastern Pennsylvania. It's the only place you can get it in the U.S. is anthracite, hard coal. That's it. Everything else is bituminous coal to some level. There's different levels of bituminous. What's lignite? That's bituminous. But I think it's really crappy bituminous. It's a real crummy coal. Real crummy coal, yeah. Like, I, I grew up, my grandmother would have coal on her bookshelves from all her family. Like, a couple of her brothers had mines and stuff, and they're like shiny black diamonds. Like, they shine, they're all washed off, but it's real shiny, nice-looking stuff, so. So when those guys are goofing on you about your weight, where you're like, well, at least, uh, at least I come from good coal country. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't occur to me. That was just normal. <laughs> that was life. Uh, but we always hunted out on a lot of coal land. Like, we always said, out in the strippings. Um, cause a lot of it. <laughs> really? Yeah. The strippings? Yep. Yeah, stripping nope. pits. Strippings. That's what they call it. Yep. Is that what like this when, called it? Because they're strip mining. Yep. Yeah, right. We're sitting right now right below. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what mine. I would have regarded as like, you you clarified it's not. I would look mm-hmm. at that. That must be like, that must be the mountaintop removal we hear so much about. But you're like, that's that doesn't it, even. No, not technically. That doesn't it even is a count. Strip, it is a strip, strip mine. mine. A strip mine. They, they do recontour and level stuff during strip mining. We're, it's not. we're close enough to the mine right now. We were sitting here earlier in the cabin and there was a little bit of a shake because they, they must have uh, detonated a charge up there to Loosen move, up move some, some ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are hunting the strippings. Yep, we're out in the strippings. And I probably was like 11, maybe maybe 10 at this point. And I was getting a little tired. We were doing mooches, as Doug Duran would say, but small drives, just with, a, with my uncles. There was, it wasn't a full-on drive. Doug then, wouldn't really agree with that. Oh, he wouldn't? Is that just what you, He's okay. a little stupid about it. He would. <laughs> um, Like a mooch... <laughs> I've argued with Doug about this a million times. Yeah. In a mooch, which is like a deer drive, but not. In a mooch, okay. it would be that like, there's like a like a blind sitting, still hunting component to it. Okay. It kind of stems from like some relative of his, probably looked exactly like him. Uh, <laughs> at one point in time, it said something like, you know, I was just creeping along. Yeah. You know, mooching, right? Okay. It'll be like, if you're doing a mooch, it might be that everybody goes out in the morning and gets in a blind, in their deer blind, around the farm. Yeah. And even the the neighboring farm, right? Like, everybody's out in their blind. And it's scheduled that, like, we'll sit till about eight. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Dave and Bob are going to get out of their blinds. Okay. And mooch along these two different ridges. Okay. Yep. And just stir stuff up. And just gently, gently get things astir. Yeah. And then, like, let's say Dave arrives at some other blind that he hadn't been sitting in. Mm-hmm. He might climb up into that blind. Okay. At which point, Doug gets out and mooches down into a little bottom. Yep. Real okay. quiet. Mm-hmm. And then around about that time, like, Shirley <laughs> climbs down out of her blind you know? Yep. Yeah. And mooches around to, to Doug's yep. blind. And then Deb, and it's this whole thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So technically, we're not doing that. And we it's were like, just well, out. it's just little mini pushes. Yeah. Mini pushes. Little, mini little pushes. short drives. Yeah. Um, mini subtle, like not blowing deer out, but just nudging them. Nudging them. Yep. Mooching my, along. My uncle was going through conifer cover, like we did a lot this whole uh, trip. And he bumped out two doe and they came running. Well, oh, I got to back up. I was tired. No, why do you this. not say does? 
Oh man, that's were you brought up to say dough? Yeah, and it's a really bad habit. So How where about, I did you grow up to say dough where yeah. you live? Um, I think I don't I don't remember. Huh. Yeah. That's just the way my yeah, entire I, family honestly, and honestly, it, a lot of the guys that grew up hunting around how they said it. So it's just, it, it's automatic in my I don't brain. even think it's regional because we grew up with people that said it. Yeah. No. Buck and doe. Mm-hmm. Not bucks and does. Bucks and does, yeah. I think it's super common. I know a lot of people yeah. do that. And I don't even catch myself doing it. No, I'd be like, just, I saw yeah. two buck. Yep. Three doe. Um, but I was tired and he climbed up on a big overburden pile of coal. That was all, it was left from years ago. And it's all grown up around it, everything. But he went up on it like he'd be in a stand to get an elevated shooting position at the end of this conifer cover. And my uncle bumped uh, two does out and they came running right up. And one saw me sitting on a stump. My dad set me on, hit the brakes and just watched me. And I remember staring right in her eyes. And I heard <laughs> the flintlock go off. And, a, <laughs> and like a foot, two foot big shot of blood shot up out of her side and she ran off 30 yards and piled up my dad came down that was like the first time i put my hands on a dead deer and i was so chomping at the bit to go hunting after that and then so like flintlock hunting. my dad has killed more deer with his flintlock than his center fire rifle yeah what year did they start the flintlock season here uh 73 we should check that sheet in front of you i say think it's 73 <laughs> <laughs> one second that page covers the advent of the triple trophy. Yep. Where which, you'd get a special trophy if you yep. killed a deer, bear, and turkey. In the same year. Which they started handing out in 1966, and then in 1972, mysteriously, they ended the triple trophy program. I, I, I really need to reset. I don't know the history behind that. I just knew in my hunting. That was a good idea for six years. At my hunting camp, there was a few guys that had their hunting jackets, and they had triple trophy patches on it. Oh, how do I not remember this? It was the damn year I was born. Oh. Two years after Jeremiah Johnson yeah. came out. So that was, yeah, I threw that in on that little thing because I feel like that probably set the stage because that was such a popular movie. Um, I like they, think my parents watched Jeremiah Johnson at your about a year and three months after it came out, and that led to my conception. <laughs> <laughs> such, such a weird thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's a romantic movie. My mom and, uh, my mom and dad, for their honeymoon, they went and stayed in one of those ice shanties you can live in. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's that's romantic. Their, yeah, spent their honeymoon oh, ice fishing in ice shanty. Do you think it was a scene where he f- flips the blanket off Swan that, like, got your parents? Is that when you're thinking of your... I'm trying to think, what's that scene? She lay, after they get married, she lays down under the blanket naked. Oh, that's And then right. he yeah. flips it off and says, Lord. Yep, I yeah. remember that scene. Um, <laughs> okay, where were we? I don't know. <laughs> oh, they started muzzle at Flintlocks, but it's the only state that has the Flintlock season. Yeah. Yeah, so... Is it, like, wh- why is that? And tell people what the hell Flintlock is. Uh, man. We've covered it so many damn times. Maybe so, Seth can do it, okay. Yeah, Seth, do you do it. You're, I'm talking too much. But first tell them what a matchlock is. Or I could do that. The, yeah, yeah, you tell them what a matchlock yeah, is, and you, you tell You probably them explain the matchlock better. So, time, 1600s, beginning of the 1600s, the cutting-edge technology was a matchlock. So it was a pan that came out the side of the barrel, held a... Uh, priming powder and then a arm that would be cocked back and then when the trigger was pulled back it would the sear would move it would release and a smoldering rope would <laughs> go in that and ignite the powder the problem with that is as you as the rope kept smoldering back you kept having to 
push it and make sure time was up far enough and timed right. So if like someone starts a drive, a deer drive, let's say. With a match lock? You might light the wick. Right when it starts and by maybe When they by, say like, well, here we come. <laughs> you'd light the wick? You'd, I mean, yeah, if they were doing deer drives back then, yeah, that'd probably be what you're doing. Or it would smolder. I'm not sure how like the rate maybe was a super, super slow so you can almost hunt for a or would it be, here comes time. a deer, you're lighting the wick. No, and, no, it oh. would, you would want to, yeah, you're not like sitting there. Because think they didn't have any lighters or anything. Like it wasn't a quick ignition. So you had to try to take a, something from a candle or a fire to light that, start smoldering that. Rope. Until this very minute, I didn't know that that's what a matchlock was. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then when the they. The hammer held a burning wick. Yeah. And then pushed it right into the pan. Oh. And would it put the wick out when that happened? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it did or not. I I feel like it probably wouldn't. It would still be smoldering because there's ignition in the pan. It's not yep. like it goes in and cuts off all oxygen or anything and there's nothing. So and then that little pan of powder goes poof. Yep. And then shoots into the side of the barrel through a thing called a touch hole and then ignite the main charge and it pushed a, a patch and ball or just a ball because a lot of them were smooth bores. Well, so I think all matchlocks were smooth bores. Yeah. And he would throw that ball down the end of the barrel. So if that was the bee's knees, what was what were the poor folks shooting during matchlock time? <laughs> well, what, what, what was a bad gun yeah. during matchlock time? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a good nice. question. Yeah, Sword? A cannon? Question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe not a gun. I think. So there's some, <laughs> some sharp little whippersnapper. Bow, yep. Bow and arrow. Yesterday's equivalent of the dude that comes up with a laser rangefinder. Yeah. Decides, he says, you know what I'm going to do, man? And what does he do, Seth? Comes up with something better. Yep. It makes the flintlock. So the flintlock is, um, it's similar in the way, in like how the parts move in, in a way. There's a hammer, there's a, a flash pan, and then there's a touch hole that goes into the barrel. But over the pan, there's, you, you got to think of like a flint and steel. Mm-hmm. So on the hammer, there's a piece of flint. Held in by, like, by a little vice. Held grip. in by a little, yeah, a little vice type thing. And then over the pan, there's a frizzin, and the frizzin is the steel part. So when, so you prime the pan, flip the frizzin down over, so that keeps that powder kind of dry. And it's about the priming is about as much as like when you see it, you know, in, in the movies, and someone gets a little fingernail, a coke, or something. It's about like that amount of powder. Yeah, like a pinch of salt. Yep, like a pinch of salt. Um, the frizzin covers the the powder in the pan and when you cock the hammer back and pull the trigger the hammer flies forward hits the the steel on the frizzin which flips the frizzin out of the way the the sparks from the flint hitting the steel fall into the pan which causes a little explosion a little flash in your face which then travels through the touch hole into the breech of the barrel which ignites the powder, sending the patch and ball out of the gun. Yep. Or so it was a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending. Oh, you can go. Did we ever work? Does this ever work out? Like, remember when we were talking about the pig, the javelini eating the turkey shit? Yeah. Did you put it on Instagram? Yeah, I did. So people could go find it. Yes. It worked. It mostly worked. Did you see evidence of people going to see it because we talked about it? Yes. And I, I've received probably 50 messages 
of people asking me where they could see that video. Wasn't it right there? Yeah. It's in, <laughs> just like I said on the podcast, it'll be in the highlights under Texas. Well, why don't you just put it in the feed? It expires it, eventually, right? Well, no. put it. Put it as a post. As a post. Oh, yeah. Well, then, then like, eventually, you know, someone listening to that podcast a year from now can go yeah. can go to my highlights, and they're, like, right there, right on top. Yeah, but that is made, no Seth, one knows about that. Seth's picky about what goes in his feed, though. Yeah. You gotta, he, he's, he's trying to keep it You put it in there in a way that people couldn't find it. No, it's... Oh. it's Rick, help, it, help me explain this. It is easier to... It's easier to find. To find it in the highlights than it is in the feed. Well, you listen to me. <laughs> he, he has an aesthetic to keep up with. You yeah. listen to me, Mr. Technology over here. <laughs> That's me tapping. Listen, well, I'm going to put the world's greatest hang fire video. <laughs> Steve will not put it in some stupid highlight folder. Steve will put it in his right feed. In the meat. I will put it in my highlight folder. Right in the meat <laughs> under PA Flintlock. <laughs> Right in the meat. Like when you go in, you're going to type in at Steven Ranella and you're going to be served up a smorgasbord of visual imagery. If you go look, you'll find one of dirt having a great, uh, a great, what's known as a hang fire. (laughs) And depending on when this podcast comes out, um, don't expect it to be the first video on your feed. You might have to, you might have to scroll once. You know what I said? Smorgasbord? Oh, you're going to do a bunch of them? No. You'll be served a smorgasbord of images. But it might be that particular video might be where they put like the uh, lemon uh, oh, yeah. cheesecake. Back on the tree. Mm. Like as you go through the thing, like you got rolls, salad, mm-hmm. croutons and bako bits. Mm-hmm. Right? Then you get into the... <laughs> Right, salami, and there's like you get the the weird area where you had like cottage cheese and whatnot. Then you're gonna get down and and peaches (laughs) and and peaches, (laughs) and then you're gonna keep going. There's gonna be like a big vat of soup and stuff, and you're gonna go down, and there's gonna be dirt with the hang fire. Okay, that's where you'll find it. That's where you'll find it on at Stephen Ranella. Um, I didn't know you didn't come through on that. What? Like I asked. No, it's there. Well, fifty people couldn't find it. Yeah, well, they, they, fifty people have a hard time listening to directions. More than that. <laughs> More than that. Uh, so it'll be there. The hang fire. Yep. Pay attention here, because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. 
your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people, 10% off with the code Meat Eater. That's a good deal. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX Off Road Map and Navigation app is the best to find off road trails and off grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. What the hell are we talking about? Hangfires. Yeah. Oh, the sound of a. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the, the delay. Sound. Lauren was saying sometimes it goes. I feel like it, you yeah. know, best case scenario, there <laughs> is a small delay, right? <laughs> no, best these, case scenario, it's just like. I mean, it's quick. These are quick. quick. It's quick. It's, it's, yeah. But Rick, you you're kind of right. There's feel a the slight, process, like slight it's, delay. It's but a, it's not as slow as most people think, though. Would my you agree? Old yeah. Yeah. Flintlock, my old flintlock, which I sold on consignment, um, had a. Big delay. And maybe it was like, there's all kinds of reasons that could be. Yeah. It could be like, well, I was using like goofy powder. I didn't have whatever. Because in a flintlock, when you prime, the priming powder is a finer grain mm-hmm. than the actual charge powder. Yeah. 
I could have been screwing all manner of things up with my old flintlock where I would have a delay. It would be like, right? My new one is (laughs) because something about it, petter solely. Yeah, it's good. It's a something about the 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 the, the configuration of the everything that when it goes right, Mm -hmm. it's very fast. Yeah, it could have a lot to do with the touch hole. Yeah, big large bore touch hole. Yeah, you might have had you might might have had a smaller touch hole. You could have been were you yeah if you weren't using four F powder too if like if you were using three like we talked about Steve and I had a powder incident while hunting. Powder outage. Yeah, where we had to use <laughs> some charge powder in our pans, and I've I've never actually done it, but I always was told if you need to do that, it's going to be a little bit slower because that ember has to go down and it smolders for a couple of seconds with that bigger grain of powder, just yep. just like you sure. taking kindling for a fire and trying to light heavy, too heavy, uh, like of kindling or tin or uh, tinder. Well, the reason I think that that might. I don't know. I don't think that's why I had that delay is because I remember not realizing there were there was such thing as priming powder and have a hell of a time getting that thing to go off. Yeah. And then got actual priming powder and mm-hmm. got to work way better. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think I want to establish. So in 1974, they start the flintlock season. No other state had a, a flintlock season. No. Nope. Why um, was it because you guys had a lot of like uh, period, like buckskinners, like a uh, so, reenactor community in Pennsylvania? From what everything we can understand, what started that, Pennsylvania has a big history with the Pennsylvania long rifle. And everyone always says, like, the Kentucky rifle, but, you know, long rifles started in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Um, German gunsmiths took the really high-precision rifles of, of from German and Swiss gunsmiths, and Southeastern Pennsylvania has tons of German heritage, people moving here and settling. So those gunsmiths brought that really good craftsmanship and mixed it with the English style, like Brown Bess, long, long rifles, um, made them super precise, and then put rifling in them to twist and stabilize that patch and ball. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that, like even if you go to build a flintlock today and you order a stock, a lot of, and I just did it before we came just to see how often, but a lot of the stocks are Pennsylvania counties, like the Lancaster-style stock, the York-style stock, Berks, Bethlehem, which is a town, not a county. But there's so much um, history and heritage with flintlocks in the Pennsylvania long rifle. Like during that early to mid-1700s, guns were flowing out of Pennsylvania. I think it was 1719. Oh, man, Merlin was his name, Seth? He's the like gunsmith. A, yeah, the gunsmith yeah, yeah. that's like mo- like mostly noted for putting rifling and making the flintlock. It was like 1917, Mar- 1719, 1719. Okay, yeah. and then up into the 1730s, there is another uh, gunsmith that that had a lot of um, oh man, like craft. Oh man, what do you call it? Like craftsmen underneath him, uh, apprentices, apprentices, apprentices yeah. and really they started manufacturing on a larger scale. I can't say large scale like we think of today, but larger scale Pennsylvania long rifles. Um, and then gunsmiths from that took that technology down in Virginia, Kentucky, which is where a lot of people say Kentucky long rifle, but a lot, it all stemmed out of Pennsylvania. So with that, like I grew up with, there's muzzleloader clubs and Seth, uh, there was one up here, right? Didn't you say there was one? Kind of I, don't, I don't know. Okay. I'm not well, sure I, about that. My one scout master was really in the flintlocks. He would not use a center fire rifle unless he absolutely needed to shoot a deer and he wanted to shoot a deer that year. 
Um, my dad was really into it. He just loved flintlock hunting. Like I said, he killed more deer um, with his flintlock than he did his centerfire rifle. Um, and a lot of that came down to time to hunt because of the Sunday hunting thing. He would be off around the holidays, and the season is after Christmas, um, usually for like two weeks. So he did have more time. That was a factor. Um, but with that, I just grew up going to a lot of muzzleloader shoots, and there's clubs around here. And from what I could tell from that history is there was a the – Pennsylvania Federation of Black Powder Shooters. I think I'm saying that right. And they were pushing because the archery hunters now had their season, their piece of the pie. Yep. And they started pushing then in their, you know, early uh, 70s for that to be, there'd be a designated muzzleloader season. And it's written still in the law. It's a flintlock ignition only. It cannot be anything more modern than flintlock ignition. We do have an early season in October, or Pennsylvania does. Um, uh, that you can use modern inlines now, but the post Christmas late season is flintlock ignition only. And that early season's doe only. Can't, yeah, you can't shoot an antlered. Gotcha, deer. Uh, the pr- the first problem I ran into hunting my first Pennsylvania flintlock season was not one I anticipated. The these guns have what's called a set trigger. Mm-hmm. They're a Hawken style. Hawk like is that the model? Or yeah. is that just like So the- Hawken styles from what I can read and I'm not an expert on any of this. So, uh but like my gun is more is a more after traditional Pennsylvania Kentucky long rifle style. It's a little shorter just to because it's modern. Um the Hawken style came later when they started doing um because a lot of Pennsylvania long rifles were 36 to 45 caliber. I'm fondling. Hawkins. I'm fondling. You're one fondling of these, yours one right, of these now. right now. Yep. And I, then when 50 caliber became a big thing in, in modern rifle flintlocks, um, Hawken was a manufacturer and a, of a style too. They cut the stock back, shorter barrels, uh, but usually a lot heavier. Like you guys can notice, my rifles. Yeah, it's a lot more heavier. slim. Yep. Uh, line than yours. Yours is a lot heavier, which goes to period correct of that firearm, from what's, what I can tell. What's that call where they hire someone to read while they play with beads? Uh, uh what? And you say like, I'm playing yeah. with your beads. Palm reader type. I'm playing with Gal. your beads. AMSR. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's what this is. So you're gonna hear, I'm gonna cock it. Yep. It's on. It's on Pulling, half cock right now. Yep. Well, I'm gonna go all the way for it. Okay. Here's half cock. Satisfying. Oh, yeah. Closing the frizzin. Mm-hmm. Now, I am, what do you say, activating? I, I always just say setting the trigger. Yeah, setting, setting the it. trigger. So, okay, at this point, now I'm going to full cock. Okay. Love those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I were to pull the, fr- this thing has two triggers in the trigger guard. If I were to pull the front trigger, I would have mm-hmm. to give it a mighty tuggins. Yeah. To get it to go off. Yeah, it's heavy. I don't heavy, know how many heavy, pounds heavy. that is, but heavy. it's heavy. A lot of tension in there. Heavy, heavy thing. A lot of slop. Mm-hmm. That noise, that's slop. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I do this, there's a big hook-shaped set trigger, which I'm not going to activate. The rear trigger. Did you hear yep. that? Yep. That was a satisfying so, noise. That was. Yep. That's craftsmanship. Now, if I so much as look at that front trigger... <laughs> She might go off. It's probably like, hold on a minute. 
It is, scares the shit out of me still. <laughs> it's got to be what, like a like a two pound pole, oh, one pound no. pole. I, I think that's yeah. one. That's under two pounds for sure. That's that's around a one pound. Now I had my CZ twenty two trigger mm-hmm. done and polished. Yeah, and I have that problem now and then where I'm just drawing a bead on a squirrel and it and it'll off. go off prematurely. Yeah, this is a little more scary though when they go off oh, prematurely. So yeah. and here's why. Here's the problem with the stupid thing. Not, 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 I'm yeah. stupid. Not yeah, yeah. stupid. Is that you're fiddling around in there. Mm-hmm. So here you are. And here comes, and here you see a bunch of deer come charging through the brush. Yep. And you see antlers. Mm-hmm. And the rule here is it has to have three on one side. Yeah. And you see that it's a nice clean eight. Yep. Way legal. <laughs> okay. And your normal thing is just to shoot. Yep. <laughs> But now I got to be like, okay, I got a lot of little things I need to do. <laughs> In short order, I need to go like this. I need to go. And then I need to like, yep. all while this thing's coming at me. Yep. So I do all that. And then I'm kind of like swooping in on him. He, he hits the brakes. And I'm coming in on him, passing from left to right. To eventually settle up and draw a bead on the white of his brisket. Because he's like sh- handshaking this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you were. He's on top of you. And I'm looking around. I've activated my set trigger. And my finger's kind of hunting around for the yeah. other trigger, trigger to make sure I'm in the right spot. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> off to the side of his head. Uh, like way off to the side yeah. of his head. I felt bad walking up when you and told me that. And that was my opportunity. Yeah, that was. That was the only opportunity we had out of Buck, and that was your, your golden one. 15 minutes into the whole hunt. First yeah. day. If Seth was a good host and guide. Yeah, tell. Yeah. What he would have done. He would have known that that was a great opportunity, a great drive. Mm-hmm. That's and why I put we would have gone in to shitty drives. Uh, yeah. So and you got can, seasoned. Yeah. See, I thought yeah. I was being a good host and by got putting you seasoned and got the- more accustomed <laughs> to the equipment. He he was putting you in the primo spot on the best drive possible to just get it down. Yep. At which point we became seasoned. <laughs> yeah. And accustomed to the equipment. He would then have said, "Now I got to drive for you." <laughs> <laughs> but instead, we no sooner like walk out the door. <laughs> And here I am shooting off shooting. <laughs> oh, stray, yeah. stray rounds out of my I, uh, I felt bad, too, because I felt like I jinxed you a little bit. Because before, when we were sighting in the uh, muzzleloaders, I even said, as joking, I was like, Steve, there were so many times when I was younger, and nope. I, I got my, my petter soul. Shooting the dirt in front of Because <laughs> I grew up, the rifle I got when I was 12 was a single trigger. It was just a lineman muzzleloader. So I was used to that. And then somewhere in my mid-teens, I got my... Petter Soli with the set trigger, and I shot the ground in front of so many doe because I would I would get super excited. I'd hit that set trigger, and as I'm bringing the rifle up to draw a bead like you were, I I wouldn't even feel it, but my finger would get too close to that, and I'd shoot right in the dirt. It didn't even occur like we talked all about all the hang fires and this yeah. and that and all that. It didn't occur to me till I was leaning on my stump, <laughs> and I'm sitting here looking at this thing, and I'm thinking like. At what point am I going to do all this stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like when I see the whites of their eyes, I'm going <laughs> to set my set trigger. Yeah. And I was like sitting here kind of like obsessing about it a little bit. Like, what was my sequence? Like, how was I going to sequence it out? Mm-hmm. 
and you get it, you hadn't get really little, thought it all the yeah. way through, and here's my buck. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> touch my set trigger now until I'm on the in and around the vitals. That's what I noticed. Then Seth, Seth lifts yeah. up, aims, set trigger, pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you do that after some mistakes, unless Seth never made that mistake, but I definitely did a bunch of times. My other um mishap was. Uh, we went to a spot and Seth had a good little drive planned out and I think it was, yeah, you and me yep. climbed into, we got into, they were going to push a whole hollow and we were posting it. We were posting. Yeah. Let, let's cover off on that real quick. Cause <laughs> I grew uh, up. Yep. You do a deer drive. Yep. Same. And on this deer drive, you have pushers and sitters. Oh, you called them pushers too. Pusher man. Pushers and sitters. And I grew up saying drivers and posters. And I don't know. but check. Posters are what you hang yeah, on po- the wall. Yeah, no, poster. You, you're, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's when just what college. everyone I knew. Because you're driving. <laughs> the guys walking are driving the deer towards the guys who are standing a post. So when you're dropped off, you stand right there. You stand that post until the drive's done. And that's why you're a poster. And Seth calls them. Chasers and, and watchers. Robbers. No. <laughs> <laughs> Chasers and watchers. Yeah. Chasers and watchers. Yeah, like yep. the the side hill up behind camp here. We would, I would say, we're gonna chase that side hill. Sure. Push it out. Sure. <laughs> 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 so Rick and I go in, and we're the sitters. Yep. And. The pushers are going to push a whole hollow. And it's a long, they got a long way to yeah, go. Yeah, it's a big hollow. So yeah. we sneak in there, and it's what you guys call game lands. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's owned by the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And they, yep. I was surprised to see they do some food plots. Oh, yeah. I, just, I remember that one truck passed us, and I said it was a food yep. and cover crew. They, we, they every, every region has food and cover crews, and they all have state game lands they work on, and they maintain food plots. Um, they do the stocking of pheasants, uh, and they'll do, if they have a lot of time, they'll do a lot of uh, TSI, timber stand improvement yeah. things. They do a lot of active management. Yeah. They do yep. a phenomenal job. They do. Oh, they, yeah. yeah. Amazing like, job. Like, real active management. Yeah. But we, I was just kind of, we were walking along, and all of a sudden, we're, like, standing in a turnip field, and the deer been digging all the snow out. Yeah, they the were turnips. hammering those turnips. So we snuck down in there and got in our spot, mm-hmm. and we sat there a little while, and lo and behold... I see that a deer is out feeding and has gotten up out of its bed yep. in his feet. And I wanted to call off the drive because <laughs> it's coming my way anyway, a little yeah. fawn, mm-hmm. not spotted. So I wasn't going to violate that. Uh, what that rule? Law. I would have been in violation of the. Uh, I think it's on the second page. I would have been in violation of the 1873 prohibition on killing spotted <laughs> fawns. <laughs> <laughs> and it's coming my way. And I'm just waiting. I'm licking my lips, you know. Mm-hmm. But eventually, uh, I see Seth coming, and the it had been a wet day. Oh, Ooh. extremely wet! It, big wet snow oh, all gosh. stuck up in the trees. Yep, and all that wet snow dripping. Yep, everything was wet, and this fawn is already in range, but I can't get a clean shot. But then it, it sees Seth and bounds my way a little bit and stops like very close. And this time, I'm like, you know. I'm going to shoot the top of its heart off the way I'm aimed up on it. Because any adrenaline overshooting a fawn has abated. 
because I've been standing there for 20 minutes think I was going to get a shot at it. And I draw a good solid bead on it and click. Nothing but spark. Just spark. No flash in the pan. No. Nothing. And I had allowed my... When I opened the frizzing up, it was like uh, pudding in there. (laughs) 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 I had allowed my thing just to get soaked. Mm -hmm. Which isn't conducive to black powder. No, and I observed to Chris, uh, I observed to Chris, Ridge Pounder Chris, that uh, one could at this, in this moment, say, um, boy, it just goes to show the struggles they put up with in times of yore. (laughs) But I was like, it's more like, it just goes to show the thing, the mistakes they probably didn't make mm. yeah. Yeah. in times yeah. of yore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, they would have been, man, wet day like this, everything dripping all the time, sitting here, probably be a good time to scrape that junk out of there and put some dry powder in. Yeah. And do whatever it takes to, but just didn't occur to me. And I had done it a bunch of times, man. So checked it. Then I just like mm-hmm. got bored of checking it or whatever. And it's funny, like that deer, like if he could tell stories, <laughs> uh, he'd be like, and I looked up and there he was bearing down on me and he hit the trigger and just, <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> tell the story. He I forgot to keep his powder dry. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that fawn would be like, moral of that story? story? <laughs> keep your powder dry. <laughs> How hot of a commodity was powder so that, like, would their, back in the times of yore, would they often discard it? Oh, I'm if, sure. Man. Or was it, like, one of those things, like, well, you're I mean, not going to... Well, no, I know people, they would dry it back out again. Oh, that... That's... And they would make it from scratch and wet and wet it with their own piss. But it wouldn't And then just dry like, it down. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I, I, I probably just depends so much. Like, yeah. If you, were you on a, if you were on a long hunt and, and commodities were scarce, I could picture that maybe you'd foul up it and you'd put it in a little place knowing that you're going to try to rejuvenate it later. And you could dry it out. Put it back mm-hmm. to use again? Yeah. You don't dry it out the, with a lighter. No. Somebody had that bright idea. Hey, why don't you just put a torch to it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ridge. Dry it out. Dry it with a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> in there. Uh, Steve, you said about like the mistakes they didn't make. Uh, that's one thing I... You know when you see old paintings of mountain men and any kind of frontiersman, he's always cradling his rifle? Yeah. He don't have it slung, but there's slings on him. You know what? I know, man, and I thought a lot about that, and I never put much mind to it. Yep. But cradling it in the crook of your arm. Yep. That's why I I hardly ever sling horizontal. my rifle, because my dad never let me. He never even let me have a sling on my rifle until I was older, because he's like, that lock, you protect that thing. He would keep it tucked, not in your armpit, because of moisture, but just up under, like, keep... Keep that arm like a wing over that thing, and, so, and 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 when you're holding it, when you're holding it vertically, everything's running up and down it. Yeah, water will run down the barrel. And like I said, we used to take on really rainy days, which didn't have it, and it didn't do that. On Monday, we probably should have done that, but take Vaseline and we put Vaseline in front of the lock, in front of the frizzen. So if any bead of water was running down the barrel, it would hit that Vaseline and shoot off to the side instead of going down, continuing into where on the barrel where your touch hole is. Yeah. But like, that's one thing, how maybe your powder got wet walking into that stand. Well, I had it slung yeah. all the time and it was mm-hmm. wetter than hell. Yeah. The funny thing about that day, it was a real wet day. Oh yeah. And at the end of that day, I had already had a misfire. 
I reprimed, I, I, I clean, took a needle and cleaned out the touch hole, reprimed, and had a vicious hang fire, which people will find <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the main feed <laughs> at Stephen Ranella on Instagram. They'll find that video. And dirt's, my highlights. Dirt's, dirt's hang fire. Uh, and the other guns didn't go off either. No. And it took quite a doing to get up. Man, it was a wet old day. It was wet. Because in the next day, everybody's gun worked. Yeah. Whole well, damn day of hunting. You guys stopped. You started putting the powder, the primer powder in when you'd sit down. You wouldn't hike with the primer powder. Started right? knocking it out of there and then yeah. filling it up with yeah. the sap. But it was just like ridiculously wet. Yeah. I mean, it was the kind of wet that would have been uncomfortable even regular hunting because you just get all that wet water and snow down your face and neck yeah, all the yeah. time. Felt extremely humid compared to Montana. Oof. Yeah. Which, like, Seth and I grew up here. And now coming back, I can't believe how humid it feels. But Monday was particularly bad, very bad. I was thinking, too, that uh, I don't really know that um, as a neophyte flintlock hunter, such as myself, <laughs> like I would probably be more effective just with my bow. That's not as fun, though. No, but no, it's, it's fun to go through experience. But I'm saying, like, if you're just like a dabbler who's not even going to spend like a week yeah, practicing, I, but just like shoot a few times and be like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're like, if you shoot, if you shoot archery a lot, you know, it's better just bringing a damn bow. Yeah. It's going to go off. That's one thing. Your effective range might be a little, I mean, even that. A little less, but you like, at least you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. But your dad was pointing that out. Uh, flintlock season. No people out. And no one's out. No, didn't no see, one. Didn't see any yeah. other hunters. Yeah. yeah. Even when we went and hunted, we saw one dude, I guess I didn't see him, but a suspicious figure. Yeah, I don't know. Seth, did you see him? No, no. never saw him. We, we, Rick, oh, Rick, we Rick saw him. Saw yeah, him. and he just, he was in his truck, and as we went down the trail, I think he got out and was cutting to the left of us. Did, did he, he have a gun? We didn't see him with anything. He might have been trapping. Yeah, he, he, might, he, he, might could, have he could have been trapping. But Pennsylvania has a ton of hunters, right? What's the, the more, more than yeah? That? They, ha- I don't know if that's true right now, but they've kind of always had the highest hunter pure dense, number, like hundred per capita. They had the highest number of hunters, like twenty point something hunters per square mile. In two thousand thirteen, they had twenty and a half hunters per square mile, highest hunter density in the U.S. Five in 2019, 558. Well, we'll just round it up. Uh, 559,000 adult resident hunters, and that figure wouldn't even have caught the three of us because we're non resident. Yeah, yeah, we are. What was the Wait, what year was that? More 2019, 2019, yeah, down from a million. Oh, I think in the eight early 80s, it was like a million. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. A lot of hunters. It's a lot of hunters. Um, a lot. I do like the flintlock hunting, though, man. Uh, I, yeah. What was your honest like opinion? I know we had a lot of things go wrong. Okay. I go places, and one of two things happens. Uh, I either go and be like, dude, I want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Or I go like, eh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, had that real like like to do that again feeling. Let me ask you this. If... Uh, <clears throat> So Montana doesn't have any kind of dedicated muzzleloader season or anything like that. Yeah. But we have weapons restricted areas. Would you, if you were going to go on a 
doe hunt or something and, and that weapon restricted, would you take that flintlock or would you be like, I'm just going to take my bow. I'm never touching that thing again. Well, in keeping with my general philosophy, I would bring my regular muzzleloader. Okay. Fair enough. My yeah. general philosophy of generally speaking, I'm like, I'm going to use whatever like thing, like whatever the, the rules are, like the thing yeah. that's like generally most effective for the yeah. rules. So like when it's archery season, I use like a compound bow mm-hmm. with pins and a mechanical release, right? Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not out there with a recurve. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm, when it's general firearm yeah. season, I use a, like a, a, a center fire rifle with a good vortex scope on it. I carry a laser range finder, mm-hmm. right? Like I generally am, um, I generally am like goosing things in my favor. Yeah, understandable. For sure. I used to set double long springs for beavers, and I discovered the MB750. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. I, so I feel like, but what I did, what I was having a weird fan, a weird mind movie about, I don't know why, was that if I went hound, if I went chasing lions with a buddy of mine, I was like, I should bring this thing out. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. For when you shoot the lion out of the tree. Yeah. But then I was like, what kind of person brings a flintlock out to shoot a lion out of a tree? Because houndsmen don't like to fetishize the shooting of the lion. Yeah, yeah. They don't like to make a thing out of no. it. No. It's kind of get it done. Like, a lot of them, it makes yeah. them uncomfortable to even use a bow because they're like, the point isn't shooting the thing out of the tree. That's a formality. If we're going to kill one, like, the point is catching it. Mm-hmm. So, like, acting like there's something going on here that's not going on, like, it's in a tree. Like, the hunt's over. We caught it. If you want it, then we're going to shoot it, but we're not going to act like like that's not the thing. The thing is that we caught it. So if you said like, "Oh, I'm bring my flintlock," you'd probably they'd probably be a little bit like, let, let, let just bring a gun." Go for hunting. <laughs> Go for hunting with the flintlock. I'll do something with it. I don't know what. Go for hunting. We should just even if we don't ever hunt with it again in Montana, you could just we should start shooting. No, I will use it. I like it. I'm going to start shooting it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start flintlock shooters association would you of america would you of let america your uh your hunter a dick son shoot a flintlock oh yeah because i have a flintlock i have a percussion cap black powder pistol oh he's dying to shoot that thing <laughs> so yeah i'm gonna have him start shooting the flintlock nice for sure man yeah i'm gonna have him train up on the flintlock it's usually the coolest gun to take pictures of to oh, film. Great. I mean, yeah. So much is going on and big sparks and like it unfolds over a long enough period that it's not like invisible to the camera. Like you can see all the little steps. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It just feels good Doesn't... carrying it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fun going. <laughs> and I was, I was talking to Dirt and he was saying how like it's, it's a cool style of haunting like the deer drives because mm-hmm. you're like like at one point we were running our asses oh, yeah. off trying to trying to cut deer off and it's like very active and yeah um you're not just sitting around waiting you're like very proactive yeah a lot of strategy you're busting your ass to try I to I killed my first deer in a deer drive did you No 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 I feel like I was part of the hunt actually part of it yeah. as a driver well, yeah, as you a were driver. part of it this time pusher pusher <laughs> Chaser. Chaser. It, it's that camaraderie <laughs> that goes with deer drives, too. Yeah, and you can yeah. bullshit and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. afterwards, you all meet up and tell stories about what happened and what you saw. Mm-hmm. 
So there I was. <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're looking at a lot of tracks, all the animals squirting everywhere. Yeah. We saw oh. a lot of tracks from a lot of different animals. Bobcat, fisher, grouse, turkey, elk, gray fox, coyote, yeah. gray oh, yeah. squirrel, yeah. gray squirrel, weasel. weasel. Did, yeah, did we figure out what that weasel was? It was a weasel. Mm-hmm. Mr. Weasel. He just had he didn't turn white, but they they these guys are saying some weasels here don't turn white. Huh. Yep. Which I'd never I didn't I'd never seen a weasel in January that wasn't white. I don't think I've caught him in January, but December. Brown. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. Any final thoughts, Rick? I was just thinking of a uh, Sunday hunting and flintlock season we didn't kind of touch on like how those we talked about Sunday hunting and how we couldn't hunt on Sunday, which was our first day here. Uh, but I think what drove uh, Pennsylvania's flintlock uh, popularity for that season was no Sunday hunting. Because uh, if you, Seth and I added it up, um, you, at least years ago before we moved away, if you only took one vacation day and you took off the old original opener, which was on Monday for our firearm season, and you bow hunted, with no hunting on Sunday, you had Five Saturdays in bow season. Does that sound right, Seth? Like five Saturdays in bow season. Yep, five or six. The two Saturdays in rifle and the opening Monday you took off. Or maybe six. It was six, uh, I think. Yeah, because it was nine days. We, yeah, and schools around here typically have yeah. Monday, some summer Monday and Tuesday. You get off school for so you can deer the, hunt. the mm-hmm. first two days of the rifle season. But if you only did that, yeah, you got nine days of deer hunting, and then you're done. If you didn't buy a flintlock and partake in the flintlock season, which most, I think it worked out just a lot of hunters were off for after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's already, because yeah, their jobs don't work. Are, yeah. yeah. So it was just very conducive to getting more opportunity out in the field that you picked up a flintlock. And I think that's what really... Because you're already getting screwed anyway. Yeah, you're getting screwed on hunting days. So this was another way you could try to fill that tag and get out there. And it was fun. Like we just talked about the camaraderie. It, I just, you know, I always thought it was a blast going out there with a big crew and, and sending a lot of shots and missing. I did a lot of missing when I was younger, that's for sure. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's neat that our, you know, one aspect of how opportunity was taken away maybe drove enthusiasm for another opportunity. Sure. So... By that, yeah. Seth, got anything you want to add? Concluders, um, man, I'm just excited to have everyone here at the family camp, Caboose Hollow Camp. A lot of good memories in this place, and it's cool to be able to add you guys to the memory bank, you know, hunting out of this place. We never took that picture. No, no, oh man, we could probably do one inside here. There you go, yeah. All right, everybody, thank you, uh, for joining. And Rick, thanks thanks for sharing. Yeah, I know. I felt like I did all our talking. That's yeah, I feel kind of bad for the no, folks listening. Good. So but, oh, man, we covered some ground. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks uh to you, Steve, for letting me come along on this trip. It was pretty exciting being back at this camp and getting to shoot flintlocks again. We'll do it again. We'll come out here and catch a fisher. Oh, I like it. Cool. Okay. Can we squeeze we some cat trapping too. in there too? We'll squeeze it in. Okay. <laughs> so, all okay. right, everybody. Thanks a lot.
This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. 